Well, good morning, Harvest. Last week, I uh, challenged and encouraged everyone to sit down and set goals for this year. Do you remember the four categories I challenged you to set goals in? What are they? Just call them out. Somebody said heart. What's the other one? Spirit. Mind. See, body. Everyone said body last. Why did you say body last? <laughs> uh, one more. Uh, oh, yeah. The body. And um, I also told you uh, last week that for the first time ever, uh, Lauren and I are doing a workout video series together, together as our, one of our 2018 goals. Uh, so it came in the mail and it's a lot harder than I thought. It actually took me five days just to get all of the contents out of the box <laughs> and unwrapped and laid out on the table and instructions read. That was a five day period of anguish. And so I finally got that. So we did the first workout together yesterday. Uh, the series is called T25. Sean T, uh, who made hip, hip-hop abs famous, hip-hop abs. So maybe I'll have hip-hop abs in the, in the time this is done. But this is called T25. Um, if you do this series, do not eat four pieces of pizza before you do it, okay? <laughs> Tip number one, that was not in the instructions, but I did that. So we did, we did uh, you know, we put on video number one and we start doing it. And because it's 25 minutes, it's this like intense, upbeat, aerobic workout. So you know, you see like there's five super fit people on the screen doing all of these activities, right? And they get your heart going. And so they're, you know, jumping, jumping jacks, jumping side to side and running with your knees really high. Uh, And so I was having a hard time keeping up. So I noticed that there was one girl on the screen, Tanya, who was doing an easier workout. And I was intrigued by that. And then Sean T explained it at one point in the video. He said, Tanya over here is uh, doing a Um, a different workout. It's a modified workout. And he explained that she had just had a baby. So she's coming back from having a baby. And so she's showing what it would be like if you want to do this, but if you have a reason for not doing the full workout. And I thought that's inspirational. I'm with Tanya. (laughs) So, so when I hit my max and I'm like, I can't do that anymore. You know, uh, I'm with Tanya. And so all these other people are like running with their knees really high and jumping side to side. And Tanya's just doing this. And then people are like, you know, spinning in circles and doing lunges and backflips. And Tanya is just like this. And so me and Tanya, this was us, the second half of the video, just keeping it nice and easy. Because when you hit your max, right, it's hard to keep punching through that. Uh, So we don't like pain, do we? We don't like pain, which is why we're reluctant to put our bodies through pain, uh, even though we know the benefits that come from that. We don't like pain. We want to modify the workout so that we don't have... Uh, too much pain. And here's, here's what we learn in the Bible today. God knows we don't like pain. He knows we don't like discomfort or fatigue. He knows we don't like exhaustion. But when we work out the body, we do it for a stronger, healthier body, right? And when God puts us through trials, he does it so that we will have a stronger and healthier faith. A stronger and healthier faith. Uh, I'm giving you hope today that there is a purpose for your pain. Whatever you're going through, uh, however hard the workout is right now, uh, God's doing it for a, a purpose. He wants you to have a stronger and healthier faith when the workout is over. When you believe it's serving God's purpose, you can go through it without quitting. And we're going to see through the Israelites today... <laughs> 
all right? I'm doing D25, 25 minutes a day, and it's like a, what, two-month program? God's putting Israel through a T40. 40 years! 40 years of misery and hardship and agony. Why would he do that? Uh, We'll find out together. Let's pray. Father, we know that you made us. You know we're dust. You know we're temporary. We're fleeting. Uh, Lord, you know you are eternal, the great and awesome God who has always been. And we are so temporary, Lord. We're like grass. We're so temporary. You know that. But you want us to have strong, healthy faith in you. So show us the purpose of the trials we go through. And I pray that you would just lift our heads today, strengthen our knees and backs. Help us, Lord. Help us as you see us through whatever hardship we are facing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. Moses has taken us on quite a journey already with the Israelites. They're on their way to Sinai. God walked them through the Red Sea. There's like 16 previous sermons. You've got to go on the app or on the website and listen to them if you're behind. Here we are, though, in Exodus 16, and they're in the wilderness. They're on the way to Sinai. Uh, last week, they, came, they, they, had, they needed water. They had no water, and then finally they found bitter water, and then they wanted to die. And finally, God sent them to an oasis where they got water. Today, they need food. They need food. So it says in Exodus 16, They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So a couple months out. All right. The whole congregation of the people of Israel, what's that word there? Okay, but say it like the way it probably sounded. Grumble. Grumble. I'll grumble. Everybody, just for like 10 seconds, just turn to your neighbor and grumble. Go ahead. Just what it sounded like. God walked us through the Red Sea and killed the Pharaoh's army. That was two months ago. I want food. Do you get hangry? Do you? Do you get hangry? Hunger plus angry equals hangry. Do you get hangry? Snickers a few years ago came out with those Super Bowl commercials, right? I, I grabbed one of them. I, this is one of my favorite commercials. I'm going to show it to you. Check it out. This is Snickers. Marsha, what happened? Peter hit me on the nose with a football. I can't go to the dance like this. Well, I'm sure it was an accident, sweetheart. An eye for an eye. That's what Dad always says. I never said that, honey. Shut up! Trying to teach Peter a lesson. Marsha, eat a Snickers. Why? You get a little hostile when you're hungry. Better? Better. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Jan, this isn't about you. It never is. You're not you and you're hungry. I love the point there. They get some food and they just say, better, better. I'm me again. They're hungry. All of them. All the kids. All the kids are hungry. All right. And all the senior saints are hungry. And all the parents are hungry. And, and all the young adults and all the teenagers are all hungry and angry. Uh, and God did it. No food. No food. And they're, they're grumbling. And it says in verse 3, And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Would that we had died when we sat by the meat pots 
and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They're, dre- they're remembering, they're thinking of the meat. Oh, the Italian beef, the Italian sausage. Oh, the pot roast. Oh, I remember they're just thinking, oh, the food, and they're rubbing their belly, and they're like, I'd rather be there. I'd rather be back there with food than out here with nothing. Hey, jot this down. Number one, God is testing your faith. This is a portrait of when God tests your faith. The wilderness is a place you will go. You're not getting out of it. Doesn't matter. Go ahead. Make your best financial plan. Uh, There's going to be things that happen that throw a monkey wrench in that plan and make you wonder how everything's going to get taken care of. Eat right. Do it. Eat. Follow the best diet you think you can ever follow, and your body will surprise you with something that your diet didn't prevent from happening. Uh, And you will go into the wilderness. You will. Raise your kids the way you think they should be raised. School them the, th- the way you think they should be schooled. And then they will break your heart at some point. It's the wilderness. And you can't get out of it. God is testing your faith. This idea that they're between Egypt and Sinai, this idea that they're on the way to where God is leading them, I'm not there yet, also kind of shows what the wilderness feels like. God's taking me somewhere, but I'm not there yet. Time is one of the hardest tests to pass when you just need to wait. It's one of the hardest. They're in between. Some lessons about God can only be learned in seasons of adversity. Jot this down. Why would God do this? To prove if your faith is real or fake. To prove if it is real or fake. Why would he get them all angry? Why would he get them all hungry? Because when you get squeezed, the real you comes out. Snickers says, you're not you when you're hungry. But guess what? You are you when you're hungry. That's the truth. That's you. That's the you inside. Uh, And it comes out when God deprives you of things that you need. He's proving if your faith is real or if it's fake. It's always good to know if something's real. When I was in sixth grade, a kid came to school after going to a concert of one of my favorite bands. I wasn't a Christian, so I can go to concerts back then. Any concert I wanted. And, uh, and so he went to a concert for the band Poison. And, and he brought to school autographs from all four of the members of Poison. Ricky Rocket, C.C. DeVille, Brett Michaels, and Bobby Dahl. See that? I was a child of the 80s. And I wanted one of those autographs. I was like, I need that in my life. <laughs> and so he was selling them. And I went home and said, Mother, I need one of these autographs. And so we were going to go to his house to buy one. But guess what we found out? They weren't what? They weren't real. He wrote them. I was a little suspicious when all the names looked the same. And they were written... <laughs> on yellow legal paper, like lined legal notebook paper with a magic marker. But, I mean, I had to find out. But they were fake. They were fake. So we found out. Thankfully, I didn't spend my hard-earned allowance money on that. Uh, One of the most tragic things that can happen in your life is to think that you have the real thing, but you have fake faith. You're not saved. You think you are, but what you're holding in your hand is forged. It's forged. You don't have it, but you think you do. God wants you to know if your faith is not real. And one of the ways he shows you that is he sends you through the wilderness. And if your faith fails there, and it turns out that you were following God to get out of the mess of this life, 
or to get rich or to get powerful or whatever, you will turn away from him. And then you learn that you never had it in the first place. You depart from Christ and leave him in the dust. The Bible says you are trampling under feet the Son of God. That's a worse place to be. To think you had it and then to walk away defiantly is worse than if you never had it. Because you're doing it willfully. The trial proves if your faith is real or if it's, or if it's fake. God is testing your faith to let you know if you're really saved. Jot this down. He does it to strengthen it where it's weak. He does it to strengthen it where it's weak. There's a lot of adjectives used uh, to describe faith and adverbs in the, in the Bible. Faith can be described as little, small, big, strong, weak, shipwrecked, great. Faith can be, so your faith can be described in many different ways. It's not just, oh yeah, I believe. The quality of your relationship with Jesus is the quality of your life. It is. And God wants the quality of your relationship with his son to be improved every year. That's faith. He wants you to have a relationship with his son, and he wants that relationship to be going places, stronger places, healthier places, hence the pain. I, well, I don't need pain, Pastor Ryan. Me and Jesus are good. I, I would be just as fine without the hardship. Oh, really? Are you being honest? Are you? Because I think we get lazy. I think we get slothful. I think we get complacent. I think we get self-reliant. And when God sends the pain, it's like he's pouring miracle grow on the faith, if you endure. If you endure. He's strengthening it where it's weak. We go to a family camp each year at Silver Birch Ranch. I hope you signed up. But we have one of the most epic volleyball tournaments in the world up at Silver Birch Ranch. Blood has been shed on that volleyball court. Because you have to win. I am the only two-time champion staff member here. Our team has won twice, two championships. No other staff member here can say that. I'm pretty proud of that. But when you play volleyball for a whole evening, and then a whole another evening, and then a whole another evening, you wake up the day after that, and you're human concrete. <laughs> All that sand volleyball makes you walk like this. And what's really difficult is getting into a van when you can only walk like this, and driving back home from Silver Birch Ranch Family Camp, because every muscle in your body has been pushed to the max, right? So again, you know that when your body is stretched and pushed and beaten down and, and, and worn out, it gets stronger. That's the way it works. The same is true for your faith. And God is giving your faith a workout. He's testing your faith by fire to make it strong and pure. I read recently, uh, a former Navy SEAL said, pain is weakness leaving the body. Pain is weakness leaving the body. So tough right? Uh, but when it comes to a trial of your soul, I could say the same. Pain is weakness leaving your soul. That's what pain does if you walk with Christ. God is testing your faith to prove if it's real or fake, to strengthen it where it's weak. Jot this down. To prove his power and presence. That's what's happening right here in the wilderness. He's proving his power. He's proving his presence. I have a pastor friend who's going through a really hard time right now, and I just texted him yesterday and said, praying for you and your wife. I'm praying that God makes his presence and power more real to you now than it's ever been. That's the prayer God will answer. Don't be praying, oh, get me out of this trial. End my trial. Take it away. Wrong prayer. Wrong prayer. Lord, 
prove your power, prove your presence, prove your goodness, that prayer is getting answered. He wants to prove to you that he's real. This is the test of hunger, where God strips his people of all the bells and whistles to show what they truly need, what they truly want. What they need is a better relationship with their creator. That's what they need. And he's going to give it to them. I like what Charles Spurgeon said about why God brings sadness and hardship into our lives. He said this, Men cannot bear unalloyed happiness. I like that phrase. Unalloyed happiness. Even good men are not without enduring secret humiliation to keep them in their proper place. Glory be to God for the furnace, the hammer, and the file. Heaven shall be all the fuller of bliss because we have been filled with anguish here below. And earth shall be better tilled because of our training in the school of adversity. God is testing your faith to prove if it's real or fake, to strengthen it where it's weak, to prove his power and his presence. That's what God is going for. That's why it's happening to you. Number two, you can jot this down. Believe God will provide for all of your needs. This is the test. Reading on in verse 4, we're going to cover a lot of verses here because this story has uh, some details in it and then we'll unpack it. But it says here in verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. This is a pretty awesome thing. I have a, this is the first, nobody ever heard of this before. And I have a feeling when God said this to Moses, his eyes just got really big. It's going to rain bread? It's going to rain bread. All right. We walked through the water and uh, Pharaoh's armies died. And I saw all the plagues. But now I'm going to go to the people and say, it's going to rain bread. It's pretty awesome. This is like never a normal week in this story. Is there like never do I come here with a sermon on they just went from point A to point B and nothing eventful happened. Moving on. It's raining bread. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, it's funny, they had to say it by faith before they said it. At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. Soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness. Behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. You think God wants them to know that he's listening? Like, like eight times, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard. Your, we have a listening God. What's coming out of your lips in your trial? I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, <clears throat> quail, those are small migrant birds. In the evening, quail came up. It says, and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the ground, of the wilderness, a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? 
for they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So, so meat at night, birds just dropped that out of the sky. And all the guys were like, wings, finally, wings, get the Weber charcoal going. Oh, it just fell. This migrant birds just coming over. Oh, look at all the birds. And then boom, right in the camp. And then in the morning, this like, here's how it was described. It's described as this fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. I started thinking of that. Fine, flake, frost, frost, flake, flake, frost. What's it like? It's like giant frosted flakes. I can get on board with that plan. I have frosted flakes at home. It's my favorite. They're great. They are. And I thought... I wanted to share my joy of these Frosted Flakes with you. So I I actually have Frosted Flakes for you here right now. And our ushers are bringing them down the row so that you can have them and taste what the Israelites ate in the wilderness. They're coming right now. This is not bread from heaven. This is bread from Costco. But still, (laughs) I, I I hope that as this comes down the row, you will taste what the Israelites were living, that God provided for them in the wilderness. It says, reading on, now don't get distracted by your breakfast that we're delivering to you here. It says in verse 16, this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each of you as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. The people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. When they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. That's fascinating. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. So what you have here is a bunch gathered like ten buckets and a a bunch gathered five, but somehow it filled them up, and somehow at the end of the day, everybody felt full. That is the Lord's provision. It says in verse 19, And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till morning. I love verse 20. But they did not listen to Moses. So they're supposed to throw it out each night or eat it all. Throw it out or eat it all, which means they wake up each morning um, with, with nothing, nothing. We've got, I don't know, if you had to estimate how many days of food you have stored up in your house right now, like we've got a freezer in our laundry room that's got all sorts of stuff in it. Uh, we've got a refrigerator in the cabinets. I think we'd be good if we didn't make a trip to the grocery store for quite a while if we had to. Kids wouldn't like it, but we'd make it, right? We'd make it. Um, and, and yet here it's like, you get it for the day, and then you toss it. And some people, the savers, were like, well, I'm going to save some of it. Raise your hand if you're a saver. If you're a saver, raise your hand up. Raise your hand up if you're a spender. If you're a spender, see? Some people, couples, right next to each other. One hand went up, and then the other hand went up. <laughs> see, all the savers are like, I'm going to put some of this away for mourning. And uh, what happened? It says here, they did not listen to Moses. Some of them left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. Anybody want breakfast? And then the kids are like, there's worms in it. Yeah. God wants us to learn a lot here. says Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. What we see here is God's people in the wilderness, we see that they have a need for God to provide supernaturally. This was not a natural phenomenon. Some people are like, well, it could have been the secretions of a plant. No, it was supernatural. All right. This was not a natural occurrence. And so God provided it each morning. This lasted for 40 years. Just let that blow your mind for a minute. 
I just went out and grabbed their food from the floor. Because God just put it out there every day. And they could do a lot of things with it, bake it or boil it or cook it. So it was kind of like pretty interesting stuff. <clears throat> God provided it. But the rules were only take enough for the day, your daily bread. And on the last day of the week, uh, or leading into the last day of the week, you can take two days worth because then comes the Sabbath. This is what made it even more miraculous. It says, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, verse 22, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, boil what you'll boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? So the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So people rested on the seventh day. Don't go out on the Sabbath. Don't go out on the Sabbath. And some people are like, I'm going to go get some more. Didn't prepare and there's nothing out here. Huh, there's nothing out here. All of this shows so many spiritual lessons. We're going to pick apart a few of them right now. We have to believe God will and provide, will and can provide for all of our needs. If he wanted to, God could make it effective immediately that you would never need to go to the grocery store. Just walk out in your backyard, pick up your food, and then you go. He could have eliminated all need for you to provide for yourself physically. He can do it, and he has done it, but he doesn't. He still provides for all of your needs. You have to believe that God, even though he's not going to jewel and stocking the shelves, he did that. Everything is in there because he did his job. All of your food has come from him. God is meeting all of your needs. Here the manna shows what God is already doing for all of us. He's already supplying the need for all of us. But he's doing it in a supernatural way. And what we learn here is that our God is a God who takes care of us. Everything you have comes from him. He keeps the earth habitable. That's not easy. You think your gas bill is high because it's been cold? The last few weeks? You think so? Uh, try keeping the sun hot. How much do you think that would cost for a month? And God does it. He also provides not just for your physical needs, but for your spiritual needs. He gives you eternal life. This idea of God just giving people food shows what's true for all of us. God is the one who supplies us with everything we need. You are just as dependent on God as the Israelites were. Now, when you go through the wilderness, you're more aware of what is always true. It's always true. It's not like, well, I really need God today. You really needed him yesterday. You're just more aware of it today. So jot this down. Don't grumble. Don't grumble. When you're in a season where you're aware of your need for God, don't grumble. Embrace the season where you realize just how dependent on God you really are. Uh, embrace it for a few reasons. Embrace it because in this 
age of luxury and indulgence, we have become far too self-reliant. We really don't need God the way that people used to. We don't. We have so much stored up. We have so much security. We have so much in hand. We live by sight. And there's sometimes few things that we actually truly need by faith. We actually don't want to need God. We don't want that. So when a time comes where you're forced to see how dependent you are on Him, don't grumble. Embrace it. Embrace it. Somebody once said of our generation, we have moved from glorifying excess to normalizing excess. That's convicting and true. We're not even glorifying excess anymore. Like, oh, lifestyles of the rich and famous. Oh, if only we're that meat. No, no, we're normalizing it. It's the way it should be for all of us. That's how we feel. But this story shows us that you weren't designed to meet your own needs. That's God's job. That's God's job. Uh, We have gotten to the point where we confuse necessity and luxury. And what we think is necessary is actually luxury. And when God strips it all away and we have to go to him for things, praise God for that moment. Praise God for that moment. Where he takes away the blinders where we think we don't need him when we actually do. Don't grumble. Understand that you always need God and he's showing that to you. In Psalm 106, it reflected on this time in the wilderness. And in verse 24 to 25, it says, The Israelites despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. When when you need stuff from God, do you murmur? Do you grumble? No, i got to go pray. I mean, what's with that heart? What's with that? Don't grumble. Jot this down. Don't doubt. Israel is showing us what not to do. Don't doubt. You must trust God to meet your daily needs, and He is able. They're out there saying, God's trying to kill us. He's taking all of our food away. He's trying to kill us. Really? Really? And we can get all doomsday chicken little when, when, we, get, when we don't get what we want, when our life isn't going the way we planned it, then we're like, God did this. He must not love me. He, we get all doomsday And we doubt. Now let me be clear here when it comes to doubting and questioning and wondering. Um, The Bible welcomes people who ask God for answers. So ask. Ask expectantly. Ask seek and knock. Uh, Ask tearfully. Okay? That's not what I mean when I say doubt. I don't, I'm not talking about the person who's like trying to get answers with a humble heart. When I say doubt, I mean the person who's demanding defiantly. You will tell me why this has happened. You will take this away from me. If you're demanding defiantly, that's doubt. Or if you're, if you're drifting defiantly. Well, if that's the way it's going to be, I guess I can't come to church anymore. This is what God's going to do, and then I guess I'm just done. And I'm just drifting, I'm just drifting, I'm just drifting defiantly. That's the kind of doubt God will not bless. Don't doubt. How many of you have read the book Pilgrim's Progress? John Bunyan, how many of you have read the book Pilgrim's Progress? Throw it on your list this year if you want a good one. He, uh, he writes in a way that every trait kind of in the heart becomes a living, breathing character, and he gives them names. And one of the most interesting characters is called Mr. Feeblemind. Mr. Feeblemind. You see, these, uh, these people on the journey were about to get eaten by a giant, 
and they got saved from the mouth of the giant, okay? Uh, but Mr. Feeblemind was still not confident yet. And so it says this. Then she, this like uh, prophet voice, then she said to Mr. Feeblemind, Thou was delivered from the mouth of giant Slaygood, that thou mightest live in the light of the living forever, and see thy king with comfort. Only I advise thee to repent thee of thine, listen, aptness to fear and doubt of his goodness before he sends for thee, lest thou shouldst, when he comes, be forced to stand before him for that fault with blushing. He will send for you soon. And I love this portrait of the person who never got there on the page of conviction, always doubting, always doubting. And then God sends for them, and now they're standing in his presence, beat red. Because they've got a lot of explaining to do. And Jesus said frequently to people, where is your faith? And maybe he's saying that to you this morning. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? God is testing your faith to prove if it's real or fake, to strengthen it where it's weak, to prove his power and presence. Number two, believe God will provide for all of your needs. If he wanted to, he could rain bread from heaven and cause a flock of birds to just fall on your patio every day if he wanted to. But when he makes you see your need for him, don't grumble, don't doubt, jot this down, don't quit. Don't quit. You have to endure. All of the good things God has stored up for you come when you remain under the trial. If you, you find a sinful way out, you'll miss all of that, what God has for you. There were several times in my life in ministry where I felt like quitting. I felt like it was never going to work, but you have to endure. Uh, so many stories I could pick from, but back in 2008, when we, over the summer, when we were discussing the possibility of a church plant down in the southwest suburbs, some things started coming together. And we were thrilled. And Lauren and I came down here a few times. There was a little church. They were thinking of joining with us before I even started my church plant training. And they were giving us a little building. And, and, and we would have a base to start our little church plant adventure. And we came down here several times. And it looked like it was going to happen. And then the whole thing fell apart. The whole thing fell apart. And, and that all went away. And I thought, well, that's gone now. And so I entered the training program in the fall of 2008 with nothing ready down here. So they could have sent me anywhere. Uh, they were thinking of sending me either to Maine or, or Alabama or Vegas. And I've owned an Elvis costume before, so that may have been the place. <laughs> Vegas. There was nothing here. Whatever we had worked on had fallen apart. And so we, we didn't know how this would happen. Well, God started opening doors in the fall and... Uh, Harvest decided that they wanted a church in the southwest suburbs, and they said, all right, even though, you know, there's nothing really there yet, we're going to assign you to the southwest suburbs, and we're going to say, you know, go plant a church there. So in January, we, <laughs> we had 10 living beings uh, committed to helping us plant a church in the southwest suburbs. We had me and Lauren and our three kids, and then we had her parents, my parents, and one of our two cats was a Christian. So that got us up to two hands. <clears throat> of people who were on, on board, you know, and we didn't have anything. And so we just had to start having meetings and saying, hey, we're going to plant a church. And people started coming to these meetings. Well, on March 1st, we, uh, we started the launch team. People could officially join on March 1st. We have a picture here, the smaller group picture. That's, that's the first picture we took with people who joined the launch team. There were some visitors there too. Uh, but there's still like 14 people from that crew 
who are uh, with us. Mike and Terry are in Romania, but um, some of the people moved away and some found other churches. But that, that was the first group of people who said, we're in, we're in. And that's when we knew, all right, this is going to happen. And then 23 people became 30, and then 40, and then 50, and then 60 adults, plus another 20 kids and teens. We had like 80 people building the church. Uh, here's the picture of the full team just before launch. This is in our uh, rented space that we met in for the first year. And God brought all those people together to help. Uh, we had never even had one service yet. These were the people who were making the church happen. And then we launched September 13, 2009. And uh, God brought over 300 people to that first service. And we just started growing from there. But you have to understand, there was a point in the summer of 2008 where I'm like, it's dead. It's dead. It's not going to happen. It's over. We're going to be in who knows where. And then God brought it all back to life. The point is this. Don't quit. When you feel like it's over, when you feel like you've got so far to go, don't quit. God has awesome plans that you're just beginning to see, and you can't quit. The people are, let's go back to Egypt. We, we're going to die out here. They want to quit. They want to quit. They want to quit. And you'll want to quit too. But you can't. Don't quit. Number three, jot this down. When you're in the wilderness, you must obey the Lord's commands. This is the whole point. The whole point is God wants you to learn to follow his voice. Verse 27, or actually, we already read past that. Verse 31, it says, Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed white. The taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Cana. Now, all throughout this, it says, if you read back up uh, in verse 22 on, uh, there are all these commands. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Follow this, don't follow that. Uh, verse 26, six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. And then look at verse 28. It says, the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? He wants us to know his law. And you follow his law and you find, here the Israelites found, food for living. Follow my law, you get food for living. Keep it for a day and it will sustain you. Keep it for the next day and it will kill you and give you worms. Follow my law. Go out on the first six days, you find life. Go out on the seventh day, you find nothing. Follow my law. God's teaching them to follow his lips. Follow my words, you get food. Follow my words, you get food. And guys were like, I want food. I'll follow the word of the Lord. Food. But food's not the point. The point is you follow my lips to life. And the Bible makes this clear that God is the one who meets all of our needs, so we must follow his commands. The, the Sabbath was a test. Would people obey the voice of the Lord? Keep it on the sixth day, and it will be good to the seventh. Well, I did that yesterday, and it turned to work. Nope. Obey the voice of the Lord. He will give you life. It was a test. They had to pass that test. Don't go out on the seventh day. There's nothing there. It was a test. They had to pass that test. Here's the point. The point is, 
you have to follow the lips of the Lord. You have to obey His voice when you're in the wilderness. That's where your life comes from. And I don't just mean frosted flakes. I mean your life. Your life hangs in the balance on how you line your life up with the words of God. Jot this down. His word gives life. His word gives life. Jesus told Satan, man does not live on what? On bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The bread is symbolic. What the bread is doing for the body, the word of God is doing for the soul. The Bible says that God upholds the universe by the word of his power. His word is holding the whole universe together right now. His command is what all the stars hang on because he said it. God calls us unto salvation. His voice calls your dead, dry bones back to life. He calls you out of the grave. His voice does that. Your life depends on the lips of the Lord. So if you turn away from the commandments of God, you're turning away from the source of your life. That's not going to go well. You must listen and obey the commands of the Lord when you're going through the wilderness. If practically that means that you stay in the book when you're going through hard times and you let God's word nourish your soul. This is food. This is food. The grass commercials are pretty funny, right? Feed your lawn. Feed it. What is that? Scott's Turf Builder? Feed your, the Scottish guy. Feed your lawn. Feed it. You know, and I'm saying to you, feed your soul. Feed it. Feed it. If you drip from this book, you're closing your ears to the Lord when you need him most. You have to listen to his commands. His word gives life. But this is the ultimate reason this story is in the Bible. Jot this down. His son gives life. His son gives life. The whole point of the magic bread in the wilderness is to teach us something about God's son. It's the whole point. This is it. If we miss this, we miss the whole reason. All right? His son gives life. You don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 6, Jesus had just fed the 5,000, and he decides to give a sermon. So here, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, he says uh, in verse 31 of John chapter 6, the people say, Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus fed the 5,000, and then a bunch of guys showed up, and they're like, more magic bread, please. More, more frosted flakes, please. More magic bread, please. And Jesus is like, that's not why I did it. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Still don't get it. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. It's the first of the uh, I am statements. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The whole idea of God supplying the Israelites with this magic bread day after day. Go get the bread. Go get the bread. You're still alive. Follow my voice. Now there's the bread. You're alive. Shows us that he was going to send his son 
Go to my son. Go to my son. Go to my son. He is the bread. He is the bread. Get your life there. Get your life there. Go again. Jesus is that. Jesus is that. He is the bread from heaven. You go to him, you never run out. You never run out of life, ever. This is a portrait of being saved and satisfied in God. You go and you live. You get saved when you go to the bread from heaven. And you go again when you get weary. And again, again to the well, again to the bread, again to the man, again, and he fills you up. He fills you up. Jesus is the answer. God is testing your faith. Believe he will provide for all of your needs, but don't just focus on the physical. Obey his commands because his word and his son will give you life. Let me close by reading a quote by one scholar who said this about suffering. Is this not the way our Savior went forward to his glory? And if it is the way the Master went, shall not his servant tread it still? Furthermore, do we know anything that our hearts want more than to be made like the Son of God in all things? Jesus followed the road of suffering, and God exalted him to the highest place. Endure hardship. Endure hardship. And Jesus will see you through it, and you'll be made more like him than ever before. Let's go to the Lord as we close in prayer together. Let's pray.